Good morning, men. Work your way on in. Come on in, fellas. Grab a seat. There's space interspersed. Great to be with you. My name is David Leventhal. For those I don't know, I get the uh, privilege of serving on the elder team here at Watermark. We have got work to do this morning. It's good to see you. I want to pray, and I want to get going. Bobby has, has been very clear to me that I have a time limit. Otherwise, we'd go all morning. Father, I pray for our next little bit of time. I pray that uh, your spirit would be active in our hearts. I thank you for the book of Revelation. I thank you for all the truth that it reminds us of, most specifically that you are coming back and that you win. I pray that in this interim, in this in-between period, we, we would be found faithful. Thank you for these seven letters to these seven churches. Thank you for what we can learn. Thank you for what they were doing well. And thank you for the things that you have identified in these churches that we, some 2,000 years later, might learn from and be sharpened by. I pray for each man in this room that you would help us to grow in our love for you and our desire for purity and holiness. I pray that we would lead our families well, that we would lead in our offices, irrespective of what our role or title is, that we would be leaders, that we would be men that would be, um, others would be proud to work with and live with and serve with. Thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, men. As uh, you guys know, we're in week two of the uh, summit this, this, uh, this semester. Blake did a great job last week of giving us a kind of a big picture of Revelation. And so this week, we've got our first of our seven churches, the church at Ephesus. We do have work to do. If you've got your Bible, get it out. We're going to go through a lot of Bible. Let me read you the passage that we're looking at this morning, Revelation 2, verses 1 to 7. We're going to be looking at the letter to the church in Ephesus. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patience, and your patient endurance, excuse me. How you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. But... I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstands from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. Okay, I'm gonna just walk us through this. I'm gonna make some observations and try and figure out how we can apply this in our lives. Real quickly, uh, a couple minutes on Ephesus. It's in your book, but just to highlight, Ephesus was a big deal in terms of cities in that part of the country, I mean, that part of the world, that part of history, Ephesus was a big deal. It was probably the largest city in Asia Minor, depending upon who you ask, anywhere between 75 to 150,000 inhabitants. It was a cosmopolitan city. It was home, as you guys saw in the book, to the Temple Artemis, which is the Greek or the uh, Temple Diana and the Romans. Uh, this was the place where Paul started a riot. How great is that? Preaching the word of God. The gospel was so effective that all the folks that were making the little trinkets, the little idols, they realized, hey, their industry is about to be interrupted. Um, and so they rioted and got Paul in a little bit of trouble. So that's the city that we're talking about. Paul visited it several times. 
Timothy, the book of First Timothy and Second Timothy, Paul writes to his pastor friend, Timothy, who's leading and serving in, at, at the church in Ephesus. So Ephesus is all over your New Testament. And it pops up here at the last book of the Bible. This church was a church that was getting after it, if we're going to see. The caption to the angel of the church in Ephesus write. You're going to see the word angel. I'm the first one this week, so I'm going to let you know you're going to see that for the next six weeks after this. Everyone starts off the same way. To the angel of the church in so-and-so. The word for angel means messenger, and there are no fewer than five, there's actually a lot, but five major interpretations on who is the angel of the church in Ephesus or the church in whatever we're going to be studying the next six weeks. Um, I'm not going to share with you all five because that's not a good use of our time. I will share with you, I think, what makes the most sense is that the angels uh, in these letters are the human representatives of the church, the pastors of these churches, if you will. I say that with a relatively low degree of conviction because I think the, uh, the other options that they're angels is a, has some merit to it as well. But you need to have an opinion. And so I think based on all that I've read and all that I've studied and the way the word is used, I think these are pastors of the church. The, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hands and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. John, thankfully, has already defined these terms for us in verse 120. The stars are the angels of the seven churches. And it says that, that the words of him, Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus, holds the seven stars in his right hand. The seven golden lampstands, John has defined as the seven churches, and he walks among the lampstands. Jesus, guys, is fully aware He's walking among the lampstands, and he is fully in charge of these churches, as he is the church today. God is, this is Jesus' church. This is not Todd's church. This is not the elder's church. This is the church that belongs to Jesus Christ who bled and died for it. And the moment you hear from Todd or from one of us or from anybody else on this stage, anything that would lead you to believe that we think otherwise, it's time for you to find a new church. I know your works your toil, your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil and have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not found to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. This, by all, if the, if the passage stopped right here, we would all have a very high opinion of the church at Ephesus. They are getting after it. They were working. Uh, John says, I know your works, actually, Jesus says, I know your works. John records it. What works? What were they doing? Well, fortunately, we know because Paul told us when he wrote to Ephesians in the book of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, Paul reminds those guys, hey, guys, for by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one can boast. And he goes on and say, for we are his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. And so this church was getting after it. They were working for the Lord, these good works that God had prepared beforehand. They were toiling. The Greek word for toil, the definition is kind of like a strenuous labor that induces weariness. It's weariness as though one had been beaten, like in a boxing match. These were not fair-weather believers. These were guys and women who were getting after it. They were toiling. They patiently endured. This is a fun word. Uh, the Greek word for patiently in, uh, for endured is hupomeno, um, uh, made up of two Greek words, hupo. So think like uh, we get hypodermic needle, remember that? So it goes, the needle goes under the skin, so hupo means under. 
Meno means to remain. And so the word literally means to remain under, and the, the picture is that they're remaining under a burden. And so they are patiently enduring. And when we endure as God's men, we don't just pull the ripcord and eject. We are supposed to patiently endure up underneath whatever burden is going through our lives. And for these guys, there was significant persecution. What allows us, what, what allowed these guys to patiently endure like this? It's knowing, I'll tell you, it's knowing and believing in the gospel and it's knowing the end of the story. Blake mentioned last week that Revelation wraps up the canon and we win. God wins. And so what helps us patiently endure is the knowledge that at the end of the day, God's got this. And that's why we play the long game, right? We don't look at our light and momentary afflictions. If we just focus on the here and now, we will be discouraged. We gotta take a big picture, guys. Life can be hard. I told someone the other day, man, we are, we are at war. We are walking through a minefield while we're on this earth. We are in enemy territory, but we know the story. We know that God wins. These, this church, they were unwilling to bear with those who are evil. They tested those who called themselves apostles and, and were not, and they found them to be false. They were, they were a group of, that was discerning. They refused to bear with. So unlike, there's a sort of a wordplay here, uh, unlike uh, them sort of not tolerating evil, they did tolerate hardships. That's what's happening in the Greek is a wordplay. And so they, they, um, they carried, they bore the excessive burden of the tribulations, and they refused to do that with those who were false teachers. And so I'm not going to get into who all, Paul, because he's going to mention, John's going to mention in a couple of verses, we're not going to come back to this, the Nicolaitans and who they were, but you had these men who were claiming an, uh, an apostolic authority that wasn't theirs to claim, and they were coming to try and infiltrate, infiltrate the church. Uh, in the book of Acts, uh, it writes that the, to the church in Ephesus that there's going to be false teachers who are going to come in, come in in your midst. And so all this was happening. And these guys weren't putting up with anything. And they didn't grow weary. Galatians 6, 9, Paul reminds us, hey, let's not grow weary of doing good. Why? For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So this church was working. They were toiling. They were patiently enduring. They were not tolerating um, wickedness or evil men or false doctrine. And they were doing all of this without growing weary. Not bad. Not bad. We are called to the same things. We're called to tolerate hardship in Christ's name. So we are not called to tolerate wickedness. Guys, as the men go, so goes the family, so goes your office place, so goes the culture. And when we tolerate evil in our midst, when we don't say anything, when we sit by quietly, we are letting the current of the culture carry the tide. And that is not what we are called to do. We're called to tolerate, endure hardship. We are not called to tolerate wickedness. And believers have always been exposed to hardship, to persecution, to trials, and to suffering. That, guys, is what's normative for our brothers and sisters since Jesus ascended. That's been the normal course of action. We happen to have lived in this little blip in history the last couple hundred years, where we have experienced something that is not normal to the history at large. And if you're paying attention at all, you're, you should be getting the sense that, that, that those freedoms we've enjoyed are beginning to be peeled back. And there will be a day 
where we, I believe, will be suffering like most of our brothers and sisters today around the world are suffering for their faith. Paul reminds Timothy, this pastor in Ephesus, 2 Timothy 3. Paul says, look, Timothy, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And evil people are gonna go from, uh, impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. If you wanna live a godly life in Christ Jesus, expect to be persecuted. It's part of the deal. That's why this health, wealth, prosperity gospel is such nonsense because it promises something that is anti-biblical all the way through your New Testament. To know Jesus is to enter into the suffering of our Savior. And true believers have always endured because they know and they believe the story. John writes five times in this book. He repeats five times. Jesus says, I am coming soon. I am coming soon. I am coming soon. We cannot lose sight of the larger story that we're in. We are just a slice, a small slice. And I know for us, we're frail and we're fickle. And 80 years seems like a pretty big plug. And I get it. And God knows, Psalm 103, he knows our weaknesses and our frailty. But it is a small slice of a much larger pie. And we've got to keep our eye on the fact God will make this right. And we're not going to get to go through Revelation 4 through the end of the book, which I encourage you to read to be reminded that God gets it done. But, what's the condemnation? But I have this against you. You have abandoned your first love, which is ironic that Paul would be writing that to this church. I mean, that John would be writing that to this church because Paul, when he wrote, to the, when he wrote all of his letters, he used the word love a lot. I got a chart here. He, for the, book of, uh, for the book of Ephesians, he uses the word love more than any other book in the entire Paul corpus. 20 times. And so this book of, uh, that Paul had written to the church, John now says, hey, you guys have lost your first love. Paul says in Ephesians 2, 4, because of the great love with which God loved us is rich in mercy. Ephesians 3, he prays that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith, that they'd be rooted and grounded in love. He prays, guys, Paul prays, I want you, this church, to be rooted and to be grounded in love. And John says, guys, the one thing you have against you, you've done all this stuff right. The one thing I have against you is that you've lost, you've abandoned the love you had at first. What is this first love? Well, we don't have to ask. We can turn to Mark chapter 12. Scribes coming up to Jesus and he says to Jesus, hey, what's the most important commandment of all? And Jesus says, the most important is, and he goes back to Deuteronomy 6, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There are no other commandments that are greater than these. What is the first love they abandoned? They abandoned their love for Jesus Christ. And they were doing all this stuff that looks great, and yet they had forgotten the very thing that was supposed to be first and foremost. What does it look like to love God? Well, go to Luke 6. We got a great picture. I wanna, when you're studying Bible, one of the ways to study the Bible is to teach Scripture using Scripture. Luke 6, one of the Pharisees asked to eat with him, Jesus, and he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, there, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, well, this guy was a prophet. He would know the kind of woman this is and what she's doing. 
And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, say, teacher. And Jesus tells a parable. This parable came up a couple weeks back on a Sunday. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and one 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon said, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. And Jesus turns towards the woman and says to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my head, uh, my feet with ointment. Therefore, therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, because, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. So what does it look like to love the Lord? It looks like your heart should be in the same posture as this woman, which says, my past is checkered. I've got nothing to offer you. And yet here you are, the Messiah, and I believe you're able to forgive sins. And her view of Jesus hadn't been fully rounded out, but she knew enough to know that he was different than everybody else that had come into town her whole life. And so she fell at his feet. Why? Because she recognized her, in her brokenness and her sinfulness. And guys, let me just let you know, whether your story, your background is like that of this um, woman of the city, this prostitute, or you feel like, hey, I came to know the Lord, but my background's not super checkered. Let me remind both of you. The gap that separated both of you from Jesus was equally as wide. You may have grown up in the church. You may have attended Bible studies like this. Um, you may never have gotten into alcohol or drugs or premarital sex. You may have been that moral guy. But if you didn't know Jesus, the sin that separated you from their Savior was as great as the guy that's on Skid Row this morning. Are we clear on that? All of us are in the position of this woman, which is to say we are hopeless without Jesus. And it's the acknowledgement and the recognition of that that leads to love for God. Now, I've got a couple of slides. Let's just make an observation. I've got a, a slide I want to show you guys. We see in this passage a church or a person who's abandoned their love for the Lord, Jesus Christ. We see that in Revelation 2, this church had good works. They were toiling for the Lord. They didn't tolerate evil men. They were fighting for doctrinal purity. They were enduring patiently for Christ. They were not growing weary. So a person who's abandoned their love for the Lord Jesus Christ can display these qualities. But you know what else? The next slide. A person who loves the Lord Jesus Christ with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, Mark 12, should have good works, should toil for the Lord, should not tolerate evil men, should fight for doctrinal purity, should endure patiently for Christ and for not growing weary, which leads us to this conclusion. Next slide. It is entirely possible, it is entirely possible to do Christian, God-honoring things and not love God. Matthew 7, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father. And then on that day, on the day when he comes back, there's, Jesus says, there's gonna be a lot of people who say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? He cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name. And Jesus will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you workers of lawlessness. You workers of lawlessness, but look at all the stuff we did, but you didn't know me. 
Or are we going to be the, the Luke 15, the older brother's sin? Right? Remember the prodigal son? The younger son takes the inheritance, goes off, squanders it all, and he comes to his senses as in the pigs, and he comes back, and there's restoration with the father. But the older brother in Luke 15, 28 to 30, when he, he was angry, the older brother was, and he refused to go in. Why did he refuse to go in? He says, look, Dad, all these many years I've served you. I never disobeyed a command. I fought for doctrinal purity. I toiled for you, Father. I did everything you want me to do. You never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who's devoured your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf, right? And this older brother did not have the love for the father that the younger, son, the younger brother had. So what do you do if you find yourself on the left side of the chart? Verse five, remember therefore from where you have fallen and repent and do the works you did at first. You repent of a life that, is, that looks good, that you can point to chapter and verse where there's an absence of the heart. And I'm gonna move through quick because I'm running out of time. So what do you do if that's your condition? How do you, first of all, how do you know? How do you know if you're on the left or the right side of my little handy-dandy chart? So I, I thought through, here's five questions I would suggest to help do a self-evaluation. Proverbs 4.12 says, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flows the springs of life. So guys, we gotta guard our heart. Number one, does your heart long to be with God or do you find God to be a nuisance? Psalm 63.1, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there's no water. Is that, the, is that the posture of your heart? Does your heart long to be in his word or are you merely checking a box? Psalm 119, 131, I open my mouth, writes the psalmist, and I pant because I long for your commandments. Do you long to be in God's word? Would you, would you if you had time, linger in the Bible and the scriptures? Sometimes, guys, uh, and I don't, look, I don't know why, but God has given me just this love for his word and sometimes I've got these seven kids and they won't leave me alone. And my wife's got stuff she wants me to do. And I'm like, but I just want to sit and read and study and know God more. I want to love him more. And I've got stuff I've got to do. So we can't spend 24-7 in the Word because we've got to sleep. We've got to work. But are you looking for opportunities to get in God's Word? Does your heart long to be with God's people? Or are God's people an afterthought for you? 2 Timothy 2.22 Paul says to Timothy, again, the pastor of Ephesus, flee, Timothy, youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. We don't do any of this stuff alone. We're called to be a part of the body with God's people. Do you love to be with God's people? Do you view God as a taskmaster or as the lover of your soul? Are you the older brother of Luke 15, entitled and bitter? Or are you the sinful woman of Luke 7? overwhelmed with gratitude. Does your heart break for those who don't know Jesus? Or are you just put out with them because they're not as morally astute as you are? Luke 18, Jesus tells a parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up in the temple to pray, a Pharisee and a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself, prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, like that guy. That wicked tax collector, I give, I, I, I fast, I, I tithe, I give twice. Um, all, I do all the stuff I'm supposed to do. But I'm not like that guy. 
Is that your view of the lost? Meanwhile, the tax collector standing far off wouldn't lift his eyes up to heaven. He just beats his chest. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Paul in Romans 9. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 9 about his Jewish brothers who didn't know the Messiah. He says, look, I wished that I myself were accursed and cut off for Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Does your heart long to see the lost come to know Jesus? Or are they just like, God, my life would be so much better if I didn't have to deal with them. Those are five ways you can begin to peel back the onions of your heart to figure out where is your, are you on the left or the right side of the chart? Are you doing all the right things with, with, with the wrong motivation? God's not impressed by your actions. He wants it to be done out of, a, out of a heart of love and a heart of gratitude. If we don't have that, Paul says in 1 Corinthians towards one another, if you don't have love, you're just a, making noise. You're a symbol. You're worthless. May it never be said of us, guys, that we are, oh, I'm 11th. Oh, boy, I can tell you what, he, he was... A card-carrying conservative. Boy, he fought for all those conservative causes and, and didn't like purity, but, but there wasn't much love in him. I don't, I don't know that he loved God very much. May that never be said here. And then closing, the back half of verse 5. John writes, remember where you've fallen, repent, do the worst you did first. And if not, John says, I'm sure, again, Jesus says, John writes, if not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Let me just remind you guys, God does not need watermark. God did not need the church at Ephesus. God is not afraid to snuff out the light of a church. Okay? God can be glorified in uh, our acts of service and our loving our neighbors ourselves done out of a heart of love. And he can be equally glorified, listen to me, by taking us out. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need watermark. He didn't need Ephesus. The kingdom of God is not going to suddenly shudder because the church at Ephesus couldn't get it figured out. God's plan is marching on, and we get to be a part of it. But God doesn't need us. God, if, he, like if, we, if this body, this, this local expression of the bride of Christ gets off track, do you think that somehow the city of Dallas is not going to hear the gospel or know, know about because watermark's gone? I hope there's a big gap. But if we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing, God should take us out because we're, we're confusing people. I love what Paige Patterson wrote. He said that the threat of removal of the lampstand illustrates the justice, the providence, and the intention of God. Neither God nor his kingdom is endangered by the removal of the church, even as one is successful and strategic as Ephesus. Improper motivation for noble work can only precipitate judgment. Guys, we are the church. You guys know that, right? The church is not a place. It's not a building. It's a people. And so we have to ask ourselves, we have to, have we abandoned our first love? And if we have, let's repent. Let's plead with God. Let's beg God. God, restore to me, as David said in Psalm 51, restore to me the joy of your salvation. And we get on our knees and we confess and we repent and we plead for mercy. It's there. Father, thank you for just the short little snippet of time I had with these men this morning. Thank you for how you used this passage in my heart this week. And I pray, God, I, I, I pray that we would be getting after it like the church in Ephesus would. But Father, more than that, I pray that you would capture our hearts. God, help us to love you in a way that is hard to explain. Like this woman, this prostitute, the way she 
showed her love for you. Make that, make that the posture of our heart. If there are things in our lives that would prevent that from being true, would you remove it? If it's an idol of job or work or status or whatever it might be, would you remove that from us that we could be more fully amazed and awestruck that you condescended to come save us, that the, the, the creator of the universe put on flesh to dwell with humanity, to restore it. God, may that truth this morning overwhelm us and motivate us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you are not in a group, stick around here and we'll get you situated. If you are in a group and you're in the tower, the sky bridge is the most efficient way to get across that way, out the doors to the left. You guys have a great day.